Let's try that one more time. Onward, Christian soldiers. Replay. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war, with the cross of Jesus going on before Christ the Soldiers marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before at the sign of triumph, Satan's host of Soldiers marching as to war 
and David Kamos and Felicio. You know, I'm thinking about it. Only pastor ever is put the drink there. So, you know, first, new pulpit, new Assuming I'm supposed to use the microphone, okay. and this doesn't actually amplify my voice at all. No. Okay, it's just for the recording. Yeah, and this is being recorded. That's terrifying. Yeah. Cool. All right. If you would open your Bibles to First Peter chapter four. First Peter chapter four. Um, you can stay seated because I'm only going to read one verse, and then we'll go off from there. And that's going to be verse number 17, which says, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll get into the message. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, uh, just for your house, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the freedoms that we have in the country that we live in, Lord, that you allow us uh, the, the freedom, Lord, to meet here, uh, Lord, to... Uh, be in a public place, Lord, with a sign that's clearly marked as to what it is that we do here, uh, Lord, what it is that uh, can be expected when you come in, Lord, that uh, your word is going to be here, Lord, on, on our website, publicly posted on our Facebook page, uh, Lord, and, and uh, just all these things, Lord, that you've allowed uh, here that is kind of the exception to the rule in history and, and throughout the world. I thank you, Lord, for that. I pray, Lord, that as some of the message today is going to be focused on, Lord, that we will take that opportunity, uh, Lord, to be faithful to you and not just to consume uh, on our lusts, Lord, to be, be as popular and as uh, just out there as we can be, Lord, without actually accomplishing, Lord, that you've, which you've called us to, Lord. I just pray that you would be with uh, each and every one of us, Lord. I pray that you'd be with the message, Lord, be with uh, just all of the things Lord, that you've, you've uh, called me to share, Lord, I pray that I would do that faithfully, Lord, and I pray, Lord, I would do it in the most concise and clear way possible, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so the theme of today's uh, message, which I'm hoping I'm not going to be super long, is going to be uh, responsibility, specifically uh, in the church, not so much responsibility outside of the church, which I feel like has been a pretty heavy theme lately. Uh, in outreach and in uh, gospel meetings and things like that. Uh, but the, the responsibility I'm specifically focusing on tonight is going to be responsibility that people in the church have to their church and to the other people in the church. The responsibility of the elders and the younger and the responsibilities um, as a church that we work through and grow together because that's the purpose of what it is that God's called us to do as a church, because, you know, if, the, if God didn't have an expectation for the church, there wouldn't be a church to begin with. It would just be a bunch of people doing their own thing and, and evangelizing as they see fit. But God has seen fit not only to create, you know, the first church in Jerusalem, but to provide examples not only in the Bible, but examples that we, like, live and experience every day, whether it's marriage or whether it's, you know, a plant life or different things that God provided as visible evidences of what it is that he expects his church to be. Um, I could take the time. I, I might just because I can at the moment, and I'm not pressed for time yet because I just started. Uh, but in, I believe, Ephesians is where I'm looking. 
we just we've been preaching through Ephesians on uh, Sunday services, and Ephesians chapter four verse number uh, eleven is where I'll start. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, and that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase into the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So you got kind of a picture of the church and what God's expecting of the church in the picture of a body and the growth uh, proportionate to the body and coming to the place where the body is accomplishing its purpose um, eventually in heaven, but until then, growing up to that. And you can see that, that whole process and the people that are involved and the things that God's provided. But it goes much more than just going to uh, pastors and teachers and Sunday school teachers. The uh, Brother Elliot mentioned it this morning. God's first institution was marriage, the second being the family, and then third being government after that in the church. And God's created these things starting back to the most fundamental basis the, the core of the church is the families, and the core of the families is the men in the families. And if you go down back to 1 Peter, skip down to chapter 5, which is where I was going the whole time, but the way the Bible's written, it wasn't in chapter divisions when uh, it was written. That was all added later for referencing purposes. So I don't, if I start in one part of a chapter, I might bleed into another chapter because, again, the chapter division isn't inspired in any way. It's literally just there for us to measure where we are in the Bible, but First uh, Peter chapter 5, verse 1 says, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking, and, uh, taking oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither being as lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock, that when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory, that fadeth not away. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves to the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walketh, or as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all peace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, which he hath suffered a little while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So, the thing that I really wanted to touch on today, and it's hard because I was kind of given short-ish notice, uh, but one of the things that God's been working on me uh, the most about lately. There's been several things, and so I always have a bunch of directions I could go, and this could be about like herding cats this evening, but I'm hoping I can keep it to one to one thing, and that the concept of responsibility, um, the definition of responsibility, because definitions are fun. Um, I googled this, 
And then I also looked it up in the 1828 uh, because apparently that one is more, more sanctified than any other dictionary. Just kidding. Uh, the state of fact of having a duty to deal with something or having control over someone, the state or fact of being accountable or to blame for something, which is usually a legal or a moral obligation. So you might legally be responsible or morally responsible for something. And then in the 1828, the definition for responsibility is the state of being accountable or answerable as for trust or office or for a debt. So if responsibility is put on us, which it is, um, I could go through the entire Bible and point out all the different things. I will look at a couple places specifically because I like the 1828 definition because of two words, the word accountable and the word answerable. The Bible uses both of those words multiple times. Uh, one of the places that I want to just note here is First uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer, which is a responsibility put on you, uh, you know, by God. But who's the responsibility to? To every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So God's placed responsibility as Christians uh, to, to be responsible to answer uh, to the hope and to give an answer, not just like if someone asks a question, you give an answer. You're answerable to these people based on this responsibility that's given to you, again, by God's notes and responsibilities. First of all, it's exclusive. If, if responsibility is put on a person or a group of people, that's, a, that's something that's given to them that is not given to other people. So if, let's say, uh, Brother Elliot is responsible to lock up the church at the end of the service, it would be nice if, if Brother Ron helped him do that, but in the end, Brother Elliot would be the one responsible to that, and nobody else in the church would be responsible to that task. Makes sense. So responsibility is exclusive. Responsibility is fundamentally unfair in both ways. So to everybody else in that example, you do not have the responsibility to lock up after church, which is unfair mostly to Brother Elliot because that means he has to take time after everybody else has left. I mean, it means you have to stay till after everybody leaves and then make sure that you know lights are turned off, doors are locked, make sure there's nobody still in the building, stuff like that. So it's fundamentally unfair. It's also inescapable because, you know, if you don't do it, no one else is going to because people are baseline lazy. And they will not usually take responsibility upon themselves that's not directly given to them. Uh, responsibility is always given by a higher power or a higher authority. And you'll always be accountable for the responsibility that's given. Uh, I'll be over in Romans 14:12 now and a little bit later. And the Bible says over there, verse 12, so that every one of us, I'm going to go back because why not? Verse 7, uh, Romans 14, verse 7, for none of us liveth to himself and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ both died and rose and, and revived, that he might be the Lord both of the dead and living which the dead spiritually and the living spiritually, the, the dead that are not saved and the, those that are. Because um, he's Lord of both. He's going to judge both. It's just depending on which judgment you're going to be at. Uh, verse 10, But why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God, 
Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or occasion to fall in his brother's way. So, interestingly enough, in the Bible you have two different uh, balances, two distinct balances. I won't say they're different because they're connected, but they're, they're distinct. And a lot of times anything that's responsibility, anything that's leadership, any of that, there's, you're balancing two uh, pre-existing truths as a dichotomy at the same time. Uh, I forget who it was that said that you can't have two opposing ideas in your mind at once. You kind of have to at some point. You're playing both sides. And basically, if you picture a, a seesaw and you're trying to balance between two truths, and that's where you find the middle. You're trying to avoid the ditch on one side, the ditch on the other side. You walk through the like. There's so many metaphors, so many, so many pictures of this. But on one hand, those of us that are in the church that are saved people, that love the Lord and that are, uh, are working to better ourselves, make ourselves more like Christ, to cut away the, the uh, excess, to, to live in a way that's acceptable to God, God calls us not to judge one another anymore, but judge rather that we do not put a stumbling block in the way of other brethren. Um, but at the same time, verse number, or chapter 15, verse number 1, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of you please his neighbor for, he, uh, for, his, good, uh, for his good to edification. For even as Christ pleased not himself, but as is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. Again, responsibility is fundamentally unfair. When Jesus came, he bore my sin, he bore your sin, even though fairness would say that he wouldn't have to touch those because he is perfect. He's the only one that's perfect. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. I think it's funny if you go back to Romans 14, 7, it says, for none of us liveth uh, to himself. So none of us were righteous to begin with except for Christ. And because of his taking on our sin himself, now none of us live to ourselves because, in essence, we're all dead in Christ. And so that we can all live for Christ. It's both at the same time. I mean, and that goes back to the dichotomy thing. Are we dead or are we alive? And the answer is yes, we're both. We should be more dead so that we can be more alive. Good luck explaining that to somebody who doesn't understand. But, you know, that, that's, that's just part of it. And, I mean, throwing the stumbling block thing, I mean, you might not want to be like, well, yeah, I don't know. I could, I could see where, where a lost person might be at least amused by that statement enough to be intrigued. But God's given all of us responsibilities to balance. Um, I'm trying to remember where that passage is. There's, there's a passage. I feel like it's the beginning of Romans. Let's see if I can just see it real quick. I don't know even if I marked it in this Bible. I remember the essence of it, but it's like two verses back to back, and it has to do with bearing each other's uh, burdens. I think it's burdens. Is it Galatians 6? Yeah, let's, let's turn there for a second, because that's another one. Speaking of this whole dichotomy thing, two contradic contradictory statements back to back, and both of them have to be true, because all of the Bible's true. Let's see, Ephesians, Colossians. Pages are sticking. You said Galatians 6? There we go. Yep. Brethren, if any uh, man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, 
lest also thou be lest thou also be tempted. I don't know why I didn't end up here preparing for the message because like there's so much connection to what I'm going over. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. If any man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Um, yeah, but let every man prove his own work, that he shall uh, have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. So the Bible says, bear you one another's burden, but then it also says, bear you every man his own burden. So how does that work? Uh, let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. And again, going back, continuing, and he that soweth to his flesh shall reap of the flesh corruption, and he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. And that kind of opens the door a little bit to what it is that we actually have that's different, that allows us to do both things at once, because we're dead in our flesh, but we're alive in the spirit. And this flesh and the spirit, that, that, that tension where the flesh is constantly dying and the spirit is alive always, is what allows us to do these things uh, at the same time and in the same, in the same place. Um, i trying to remember exactly where I was going to go with that. Yeah, let's go back to 1 Peter uh, 5. I think it's important, and I'm not going to be long, because I could go a lot of places. Like I said, I have at least four or five different things that I could have preached on this evening. Um, I mean, considering the time's already gone pretty long. I mean, not, not for this, but for the service in total. Um, one of the biggest things in the Bible that's, that's demonstrable in the word of God is that humility is something that God appreciates. Faith is something that God appreciates. The Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. Uh, the Bible says here in 1 Peter 5 verse uh, 5, God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore un under the mighty hand of God. Um, I'm just going to reference for a second. I think it's Ephesians 5. It's Ephesians 5. It's humility. It's faith. Hmm. See, I had a flicker of direction there, and then I walked away. Oh, yeah. Ver, uh, Ephesians 5, verse 21 says, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So are, are you talking about husbands submitting themselves to wives and wives to husbands? Maybe. But this whole passage, I mean, if you look uh, at the end, um, let's see. Yeah, verse 32 says, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. That passage is used a lot of times for husbands and wives and how you're supposed to uh, live with one another and, and the whole love and respect thing. But that whole passage is dealing with Christ and the church. So are we supposed to submit one to another back and forth? Are we supposed to submit one over the other and the other over the one or back and forth? Or is it you submit yourselves one to another uh, under Christ? So I don't know. I'm using a whole lot of random analogies and going in circles here. But I think the, the, main, the main point is each and every one of us that is in Christ, specifically speaking to the men, uh, fathers and prospective fathers eventually, maybe, um, that we take responsibility ourselves because one, it's given to us of God, we cannot ignore that. Um, and not only to our families, but also to the church. 
this passage here in, in 1 Peter 5. It says the elders among you, and, and a lot of times I've been to plenty of church meetings and heard plenty of preaching on this passage where people specifically target pastors and say, well, feed the flock of God and, and uh, not for filthy lucre and, and willingly and not being lords over God's heritage and this and that and this and that. It's not just speaking to pastors because if it was just speaking to pastors, it wouldn't be contrasted to younger, submit yourself to, unto the elder. It's not submit yourselves unto the singular elder pastoral figure in the church. It's the elders, the older men in the church or the older ladies, if you look in, uh, I believe it's Titus. It's either Titus or another, uh, this is Timothy, second. Yeah, that, that's specifically talking about the pastor. But if you're, looking at, if you're looking at the Bible, we each have a responsibility, understanding that we're examples, um, which if I continued on that trail, we'd go back and, and look at children of Israel and how they're, they're living and they're, disobedience was an example to us so that we do not lust, so that we do not uh, tempt God like they tempted God, so that, you know, bad examples exist. So I hope and pray none of us are bad examples. Um, instead, that we would be godly examples, and the key to that is humility in all things. And going back to some of the stuff from this morning, we have an enemy, and we have to understand that the enemy, the devil, is always there. He's always trying to find a foothold to get into our lives and, and into our church because if the church has its proper place, if the church is continuously growing and is not preventing the growth of other believers because of stumbling blocks, because of, um, like in the uh, Hebrews, let's turn there real quick, I believe it's Hebrews 10, that's what I'm thinking of. I'll know once I'm there. I've never been good with references. Some people, I'm looking for Hebrews 11. Nope. Hebrews 12. I was close to the second time. Uh, Hebrews 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. I mean, we see, again, another example. Christ is our perfect example, but each and every one of us have examples in the flesh, just physical people, just like uh, Timothy had Paul and, and uh, uh, Silas had Paul. And all these people, I mean, Paul told, uh, says in Romans to follow him as he follows Christ. Each of us are an example to somebody else. Obviously, Christ is the only perfect example, and you'll always be disappointed looking at lower uh, examples, but all of us should be working toward Christ. Uh, specifically, I want to look at in verse number one, it says, lay aside every weight and the sin that doth so easily beset us. Not every weight is sin. Uh, sometimes when you're trying to become stronger, you're trying to become better uh, at running this race, you're going to be putting away things that aren't necessarily wrong uh, in order to be more uh, accountable, to be more of a, a uh, be more responsible with the things that God's committed to you. I mean, if you've committed to run a race, that's going to mean that you're going to run. You're going to try to cut as much weight back as possible. You're not going to go running, carrying a backpack if you don't have to. If you're, you know, in ranger school, I'm sorry. 
Um, but you're not going to purposefully do things that would trip you up or trip other people up, um, in the, I guess in the case of a relay race, because then you're not competing against the person that you're trying to help. Um, but each and every one of us have to understand that our responsibility is, is unfair, <laughs> first of all. I had the conversation uh, not that long ago. It was a little bit less of a conversation, more of a assertion of force. Um, with a coworker of mine because he was getting bent out of shape over something that he's like, well, it's my responsibility. It's like, yeah, but that doesn't mean that I have to do your responsibility for you. <laughs> you know, if it's your responsibility, you make sure it's done. Now, if I'm being a good human being, a decent human being, I will help you accomplish your responsibility, but I'm not at all, I'm not all required to perform your responsibility. So it is unfair. It's exclusive, um, which is why a lot of people like the perks of responsibility without actually having the responsibility themselves. Because it's it, it's fun. Sometimes you can you can do things that other people can't do, and you get to I don't know. Using the locking up after church analogy probably isn't great for that. It's like there's not really much you can do to lock up a building that's going to provide huge benefit to you. But um, a lot of times you can take responsibility and use that as as an excuse for something else but it's mostly unfair and it's definitely inescapable and there's definitely going to be a count given uh, I'm not going to turn there but Matthew uh, 12 38 speaks of every idle word being given account of and then in Hebrews 13 7 also talks about the judgment of Christ and the account that needs to be given not by a person for themselves but by a person for those that he was assigned and responsible for um, in, in life. So it's just important for us to understand that we have that responsibility in Christ and that uh, as people, but especially as Christians, we should be living up to that responsibility and that standard because one day we will stand before God and we will be answerable for those things. So I'll close in prayer and then we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, uh, for this evening. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I just pray that you will uh, work in each and every one of our hearts. Lord, help us to become more like your son, uh, Lord, in every way that's possible. Lord, I just pray that you would be uh, working in us, Lord, and just uh, use us in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Everyone's dismissed.